it's lovely to see you. My name's Tamsin, my pronouns are she and her, and it's lovely, we almost feel like we're, we've, we've even come in closer today, so this is, this is nice that we're not as far away from each other. Um, but it is, I was listening to a lady today and she was saying every time she goes up to speak somewhere, she sits for ha- half a minute or a minute just in absolute silence just to take it all in before she fills the space with all her, her words and dominates kind of the... But she goes, it makes so many people uncomfortable. You can see them thinking, has she forgotten where she is? Has she, for- has she just lost... Is she lost her words? And then she enjoys the squirming in the room. Anyway, I'm not, <laughs> not going to do that. I'm not going to force you to be squirming. Um, today, as you would have picked up from the weekly note, Rod was meant to be here sharing... Um, and he and his family have been struck with COVID last minute. Um, as every, every family that we sort of know, it's progressively either striking again and again or just slowly, slowly catching up with those who think that, gosh, their immunity must be so strong. Ah, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite what you thought it was. Um, so Rod sends his apologies for not being here. Um, and if you know Rod and his mind, he was really wrestling and thinking and he put together um, a talk and he put together a PowerPoint ready to go and he hasn't been able to use that. Um, And he shared it with me and to share with you, but Rod's brain is a very different place to my brain. (laughs) George saw me at this, I was at home. Um, Trying to grasp um, just the wonder and remarkable framework capacity that Rod has um, to think about something can paint a big picture and pull it apart and dive back in. Um, so I've, I will use Rod's framework um, but not necessarily fill it with Rod's thinking or everything because I cannot, I cannot do that. So, um, But we wanted to introduce a new series here this week, um, which I've got up here, um, on Radical humility, radical hospitality, and radical gratitude. And um, we haven't got the radical up there, but that's it's there. I'll have to. It's there. Um, Rod came across these virtues uh, sort of as a summary of Christian ethics from um, a guy called a philosopher called Aaron Simmons, um, and he and he just thought, oh, what a lovely topic for us to explore. Um, as we think about engaging with these virtues and how that forms us as, a, as individuals, how it forms us as community um, and how we might thrive. I guess that's the question we often ask, what, what brings life and growth um, and what holds us together at our core? We've got so many, in any Sunday gathering, there's so many forms of Christianity in the room and what God is to you in the room um, and finding something common in us is always, you know, we always, what's what's at our core? But we just thought these these ideas might be somewhere at the core of our experience of God and expression of God. Um, and I like that I might sort of, I should have put radical in. The radical side, of, we don't use that word enough, radical. Back in the day, I'm a 90s child, we used that a lot. Maybe we overused it in the 90s. Um, but I guess radical in a sense that it goes against the flow of life that we're in. You know, radical in that it's um, hospitality, but radical hospitality might be that it goes against the flow all around us. Um, kind of humility... 
there's, I've had, gosh, so many church services on how I should be sort of more humble, which nothing kills humility like someone telling you to be humble. Um, but kind of life-giving humility um, in a sense that kind of acknowledging how much we need each other rather than we must be everything to on our own. This um, And uh, gratitude, again, overdone in church, how... We should be grateful for everything. No, no, no. What is gratitude in the interconnectedness of all things that kind of it's radical that there's a deep gratitude of knowing the divine, the transcendent God and that God is always pouring forth love um, in all forms and that there's a deep gratitude that comes out of knowing that. Um, so that kind of from a topic that might seem, I don't know, your first opinions in just seeing three words on a board, but just our idea is to explore it in its nuance, um, what's at the heart of it, some of the life-giving parts of these these virtues and these practices that we live around these virtues. And we've got some other voices coming in. Um, Tish next week, um, if you know Katisha, Tish is coming in next week, which will be a treat um, to talk about sort of hospitality. Um, and, yep, yeah, so we've got some, some people to come and share with us, um, which I'm excited about. Uh, as you all engage with the weekly note as a homework spiritual practice. <laughs> um, this week you would have seen um, Rod shared a verse um, from Matthew um, and sort of wanted us to reflect on it. So we might begin today with a reflection from Matthew um, 7. Um, and a bit of background on Matthew 7. Um, Jesus is speaking to his audience. It's kind of early in Jesus's ministry, sort of his Sermon on the Mount. He kind of has just come, you know, been in the desert and come out and sort of sharing sort of a wisdom and perhaps sharing his encounters of the God he met in the desert, the God he is, knows. So he's sharing something of the God he is encountering and perhaps intrinsically knows within himself. Um, and the people he's speaking to are experiencing pretty brutal life, like it's, they're under occupation, um, they are starting to question how good God is um, with enough oppression, with enough sort of promises that are hovering and not seeming to be fulfilled, there is a question, is there a good God anywhere to be found? Um, hopelessness or despondency um, is perhaps within his audience there. So this kind of verse and this teaching comes into that, that context. Um, and Jesus is telling the people that God is like a loving parent um, and that God, we'll read it together, but um, we can, yeah, he's trying to reveal something of the God that maybe they haven't ever seen or have forgotten or need reminding of or need a fuller picture of. So would anyone like to read this feeling like, hey, I've, I've, I've been craving a bit of Bible all week and now is my opportunity to read it. Josh has been craving some scripture. It's craving it, hungering for the word. I've got the chills. So excited. Um, I've got chills. So exciting. Which of you, if your children ask for bread, will give them a stone? Or if they ask for a fish, will give them a snake? If you then, with all your faults, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Abigard in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? Which of you, if your children ask for bread, will give them a stone? 
Or if they ask for a fish, we'll give them a snake. If you then, with all your faults, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Abba God in heaven give good gifts to those who ask? What do you think the effect hearing, like the audience hearing this might have been? Any or why would Jesus need to include this? I think I might have touched on it already, but maybe. Or even what? what's your response in reading this afresh today? It was a, it, it's a comfort. I imagine people were, oh, yeah, that, a reminder that God is there and that God will look after us. So it was a comfort and a reassurance. And then after sort of that, fairly quickly following on with, well, um, I'm now starting to think of plenty of examples where that's not happened. Yeah. Yeah, so just sort of in reading it fresh, just struck a little bit with kind of how different bread and stone are or fish and a snake, you know, this kind of something that you need and in response something that is very unhelpful or, or completely, completely different. Um, I've got a, a two-year-old at home who's often asking for something and I was sort of thinking what's a sort of in that parent perspective of going, oh, if she, she wants some, you know, she's like, oh, mum, you know, snack or something. Can I, you know, I give her the iPad or something? Like just kind of this complete, oh, I wouldn't do that if she's asking for something to eat. You know, a pretty average parent would, wouldn't think to give something really, you know, unhelpful or even destructive or... She really loves to watch um, family videos. Watch, watch, watch. Um, but if I've played her videos of like shark attacks or something, you know, like something really completely not not of life at all, like that would be, she would start to question me. You know, why is what is this that you've given to me? Um, yeah, that kind of questioning the giver um, in this context of how good is the giver. Um, that's something that I sort of, in reading it. Any other little ponderings? Yeah, Deb. Um, I just pondered the exclamation mark. Like it's not a question and it's not really an exclamation. It's almost like a duh on the end. I'm... Thinking of this in relation to what you said at the beginning about the Jews being in time of occupation and the overlay of the occupation and then the extremist groups such as the Pharisees um, and this asking and this doing good works, if we just try harder, God will give us what we're asking for uh, and also the difference like with the toddler, between what they might be asking for and what they need. Um, don't know where all that goes, but just some thoughts. I do think about the asking and the, the reality of giving. I was just going to say, if someone had said to me, you know, how, more, how much more will God give good gifts and you had a stone and a snake? what bitterness that would inspire in you to say these are the good gifts. <laughs> Just like reading this, it struck me, like there's a long line in the Hebrew Bible of like God's judgment 
and about like when Israel isn't doing well um, or disobeys that God doesn't directly attack them, but God just allows an occupying force to come and wipe them out and take them on. Sorry, if this is what Rob was talking about, I didn't read his notes. <laughs> um, but there's always that question of like, why are we in this place? God must be punishing us by letting the Babylonians take us or the Assyrians take us or the Greeks take us or the Romans take us. And like the, here we are suffering under the Romans. And the Pharisees, like Jeanette was saying, are saying the reason is because we're not pure enough, we're not holy enough. And that's why God's, that God essentially punished us by removing God's hand of protection. And that's why this is happening. And it just makes me think in light of this, of just going, it's not God that's giving snakes. <laughs> it's Romans, yeah. Yeah, I think that's such an important, this Jesus sort of comes back to this again and again of trying to inform or help educate that there is a good God behind, you know, there's, this is not a punitive God who's off giving, giving such things. There's just to remind, any, you know, there is a good God behind um, that we are sort of turning to, that Jesus wants to return to, the good God. Just a couple of things. I think the key words are give. Abba, God in heaven, gives or give, give good gifts. And the other key word is ask. So if you just chop it all down to two words, give and ask, <laughs> maybe that's a key point in that text. Did you want to say anything? Um, so this is Jesus. This doesn't have to be your your experience. This this is Jesus's vision that he's um, painting. It's um, the vision that Jesus carries is that God is like a good parent, and gives of God is something good flowing from God. Um, and there is following on the invitation to return again to this good God, um, and. So Jesus frames for his listeners um, this sort of dependency on a loving God. Um, it's a, their fundamental identity. Not so complicated beyond that, but they're, they're, they're children of a loving God. Um, and in this God is the outpouring of something good. Um, I guess kind of children of like the, the parent image of God, I'm guessing in this room is not always the fondest image of God, as God is, you know, notoriously as father only. Um, that's sort of probably not the God we have, we connect with an image that always resonates, but we often try and expand and find the other images of, of God as beyond just the father image, but all the parent image, even the parent image might not be the God image that you come back to at the moment. Um, but for Jesus right now, this is the image that Jesus returns to. Um, and you get the sense that they're living in a space, the, the Jews are living in a space where they've experienced something very unpleasant in the sense that they're expecting something perhaps other than life-giving gifts from God. Um, all good. Uh, we've all left the garden of our original innocence and live in a world that so often seems a place of threat and danger um, rather than gift and nourishment. But Jesus continues to kind of remind us of a reality where everything is not a threat, everything is not danger, um, our kind of original innocence. And I love, um, there's my small human as a very small human. <laughs> 
Um, but innocence comes from the Latin word for unwounded. We all start life in the garden of unwounded innocence in a world that is all bread and fish. Um, yeah, I think kind of a small child looking at you um, and they look at you incredibly with that sort of view of you will give me what I need and there's this innocent unwoundedness in a small child um, and woundedness not just from people, just the woundedness of all things, of disappointment, of God not being God, of all this, like Annika right now is living, maybe not as a toddler, <laughs> back here, of a time where, you know, I can only expect good you know, fish, um, life will be good to me, um, people will be good to me um, and I'll get what I need and there is no reason for anxiety is kind of the world that a small infant encounters. Um, it's pretty hard the other day. We were playing with an older child who was a total bully. <laughs> There's nothing quite like being a new parent with a, another kid, totally. Um, and she, she, she doesn't quite get it, but she was like, she doesn't like to play with me. And like that kind of that first realisation that someone actually doesn't want to play with her. And she goes, she didn't like my cuddle. I was like, okay, fair enough, not everyone wants to be cuddled. But that sort of beginning of a world crushing a little view of everything where, oh, all is good, all is well. There is love in others and connection is straightforward. Connection is not straightforward and it's beginning. With a two-year-old is starting to begin that connection and life is not as straightforward as all of that. Um, and the wounding, wounding's not always a helpful word because we perhaps have our own single image of wounding, but wounding is just the disappointment of what could be and, and what is not. Um, it's something lost that we once... Um, even I was thinking, um, just sort of before we jump to this, I guess uh, in Genesis, um, that story of the garden, um, we just see it again and again. So there's something, uh, maybe they could call it an archetypal pattern. Um, we get a clear sense of a good God. To, and then the Genesis story takes us on a picture of that's a disc, that's we disconnected from that good God. There's something fractured. Um, and the Bible paints again the story of a, a disconnected people searching for their God again. Um, and then Jesus is painting a picture of, well, it's not quite always the disconnected people searching for their God. When we pause and flip it on its head, a good God is, is reaching out and inviting the disconnected people back into that God. If that sort of flip, I find that flip so helpful. Um, uh, my spiritual director the other week, I'm always striving, to, where's God? You know, like, I don't know if anyone else can relate. Um, maybe it's just me. Where, where's God? And, and, um, and every time she asks, oh, how is God finding you this week? You know, this not, how much work have you, when did you do the last Bible reading in your morning quiet time, Tamsin? Oh, me, who's never ever going to do it like that. But where, how did God find me this week? You know, that flip of that kind of innocence was lost, the journey of searching and then the realisation of finding um, is this cycle we see perhaps in scripture and Jesus pointing to that in somewhat as well. Um, Richard Raw, we start innocent but the killing of our holy innocence is an archetypal image of what eventually happens to all of us. Probably it has, hap it has to happen for us to grow up. We have to leave the garden, um, which is hard to watch happening to someone in front of me. This is from Rog. But the growing up is not inevitable. We may just armour up instead. 
can get stuck in disconnected isolation. Um, the kind of a Richard Raw, if you if you've encountered Richard Raw, he's quite obsessed with the journey of growing up um, and moving through stuckness because um, just that the stages of faith call us forward to growth, to deepening. Um, and not to sort of rigidity, and he's he's just obsessed with this idea of movement and flow through our spiritual lives, um, and and you'd get a bit of the sense that after we encounter some sort of disappointment or disillusionment, there is the option of of stopping the growth cycle and armoring up, um, and I'm not sort of super against armor. Armor is definitely needed at times um, because when you encounter, like like Annika encountered, when you encounter hostility in any form and disappointment and disillusionment, the very natural response is to protect oneself, um, and that protection can be very thick and very long-lasting. And it comes down when it comes down. You know, armor is armor for a reason, um, but. I guess the invitation to growth is still there. Um, we armor up. This is a, a rod. Rod isn't rod. Rod's rod had another picture which I took out. Which um, oh, obviously we just have different picture selection. I like. It. <laughs> um, yeah, we sort of. The, I guess the guard itself. I um, I was thinking a little bit about armor and the guard itself. Um, and as someone who, as an adolescent, had years of quite a severe eating disorder, which I, I probably have shared about, which I don't sort of share it like, oh, my testimony or nothing like that, mainly because it's been my greatest learning period of my life, kind of watching what that period did. Um, and I had so many rigid rigid rules around food and, and it formed this huge protective wall between me and other people and me and my true self and me and spirit. It, it, it was this protective mechanism um, needed for the time for whatever, you know, for various reasons that it was, that came into my life. And my best therapists, for the therapists in the room who probably resonate, the people who inquired as to why is that armour there? Why is it so big? Rather than let's get you well, you know, that kind of approach going, let me understand your guardedness from the world. Um, and when I was in a safe place, then the journey for taking off that armour could begin. But sometimes um, in encountering someone who's encountered the world and is th- thick armour, the gift we can offer them is to inquire, why are you so guarded? Um, why, have, why has that armour formed around you? Um, I don't know if I look like that, but hey. Um, I guess we kind of come back to our our virtues. Um, uh, Sorry, I'm just going to jump forward. To... Um, Of humility, hospitality and gratitude. Sort of paths back forward to the vulnerable interdependence. So kind of as little offerings or invitations to us away from the armoured self, the stuck self, the disconnected self. Um, these are perhaps invitations coming from a good God or a good place. Um, back to a fresh looking at that world like little Annika again, you know, that hopeful look around each other again to other people, um, looking back to a God, hopefully, um, looking to spirit openly. Um, this second naivete that second fresh look at the world. Um, I love Rod crafted this to kind of, if you're wondering, well, how do stones and fish and snakes 
and humility and gratitude, how does it all fit together? I, I sort of, this, is, this line from um, Credit to Rod is sort of that I need you, humility. You know, not humble like get below, but just I need others and I need something from the world around me. You need me and the gift that I have to offer. That's hospitality that I can open, I can offer something to you, invitation, um, and that we are both dependent on each other's gifts, the gratitude, the thanks. Any, any little ponderings on this, this frame that, that I've written quite What was that? I know there's going to be a song out of this. Just you wait. Just you wait. It's brewing. He's probably at home right now writing it. It's brewing. Yeah. That's, that's a lovely statement at the end. And I'm, it's a question, really. Does that link back to the text of Matthew? Um, where Abba's gifts are not necessarily directly from him, where he drops them down on it, or her, drops them down, but it's actually from the community. The gifts come from... Do I get a full mark to that? <laughs> 10 out of 10 for that? <laughs> no, but it just, yeah, it just falls all into place. I don't know if Rod planned that, but <laughs> it just seems that way. Yeah, that the gift of a good God sometimes falls from the person, from another, or from the earth. The gift comes in different forms. I think it's a, I can resonate with that. At risk of oversharing, <laughs> as someone who uh, tends toward codependency, I love this, the balance of I need you with you need me, um, reminds me of how much self-forgetting there is in codependency, of um, a lack of belief in the things that you have to offer. Um, and the that perfect balance of, and we are both dependent on each other's gifts, um, it just has really struck me and I, I love this. <laughs> Yeah, and the kind of, I think, the the journey of guardedness, take kind of, not to pressure anyone out of guardedness, but it just robs someone of the gift that is you. You know, that, that that is the invitation often from God. I want the gift of you in the world, you know, which I think is a beautiful invitation. Um, I'm just thinking about this idea in this guardedness of like trust born out and because when you when you look at that that statement in Matthew those the thing that you ask for and the thing that you get from a distance they actually look really similar like a rock from a distance can look like bread a snake from a distance can look like a fish and then as it comes towards you you have that sense of trust broken of the thing you asked for is not the thing that you received and whereas this statement is very much about that sense of that trust and that hope being born out into fruition. Yeah. Thank you. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm still stuck on the, the armour thing because um, I actually own a suit of armour. Um, I should have should have worn it. Um, but it's actually really interesting to wear a suit of armor because you're 
it's really heavy. It's really awkward. Um, sure, you're protected, but you can't feel anything. You can't connect with people because you've got that eye slot. And it's, um, I think, in a like a humility thing to get that, you know, if you're in an army, like, oh, I'm depending on myself. I've got my own self protected. You're not relying on other people. So that, you know, tactility about that armor thing really, you know, it, it, yeah, got into my mind and, yeah, I took it absolutely literally. Two two thoughts, if I can. I got the mic, but um, one was floating through. Judas Durham passed away, and they were playing some songs of hers. And I suppose I was <coughs> listening afresh this morning to it. And it was one of the songs was "We'll Build a World of Our Own That No One Else Can Share," and uh, and it just struck me again. I thought, "Oh, what is that?" You know, and um, uh, and a resonance with that, and obviously the song was a hit. So there's a lot of there's a lot of resonance out there, at, certainly at the time, and I suspect probably around this notion of we will build a world of our own that no one else can share. You know, it's this sort of going in, maybe interdependence or whatever. You need me, I know I need you, but we don't want anybody else. You know, sort of thing. So that was one thought. The other thing I was I was, I was thinking about the garden metaphor or analogy and. Uh, this paradox of, you know, the plants and the animals and the insects and they're all interdependent to make the health of the garden and yet um, they're, a pre like they're predatory too, you know. So, you, you know, if you're a plant or whatever, you've got to do, do things to protect yourself from predators at the same time. So that it's almost a paradox of openness, interdependence for life and yet, you know, making sure the bad ones don't get you, you know, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah and that's kind of going back to Richard Raw. the big part of sort of the return to the garden is often you return having changed with a new wisdom and a new... Um, we are at a park yesterday and there was a, a bull ant. Um, we were trying to find ants, you know, little creatures. And because um, I want to touch it, you know, this kind of like... And I was like... I could have let her touch it to learn the harsh wisdom of life that how wonderful that, you know, this is exciting, but this also carries something. But in a bigger sense, there is that the return to the garden, the new naivety comes having changed. Like for me, having changed from, you know, my years through that eating disorder, I'm, I'm forever changed and affected and hopefully wiser, um, but marked, you know, that you, you are forever marked. When the image of the armour came up, I was thinking, well, actually, that wasn't... I don't know where the armour thing came in because the original story was, you know, people in the garden and actually when they wanted to hide and protect themselves, all they had was fig leaves. So it's, it was actually something quite soft and quite pretty... almost useless, right? So in a way, but it had a purpose for a time, but then it's only a time. But I, I think the... If you think of it more as a... In a metaphorical sense, it's more a... Oh, I'm separating myself off, or I'm, I need to protect myself for a little while, and it's it's not necessarily a permanent thing. So even armor is not permanent; it's put on for a time, and then it's let go. I guess it's the the invitation to growth. You know, that sort of it's not the stripping of the armor. I get to take it or rob you from it. It's the going on. Oh, no, there is a journey, an invitation. I'm obsessed at the moment with the idea of the invitation of God 
always inviting something, not pressuring, not coercing, but there is always this invitation towards something good or something loving um, and to sort of frame that sort of what is the invitation of God, um, you know, beyond what perhaps you've experienced in that moment. Yeah, Alex. Um, I really like the use of the word need in both of the I need you and you need me Uh, because I feel like in early church teachings of my life, humility and hospitality, one, were mostly female qualities, Um, but also they were disappearing. They were, uh, you know, you, when you did hospitality, you were in the back of the house quickly bustling, making sure everyone had their needs um, done or, you know, the tea and coffee. You, you made yourself small and humility was also taught as a smallness in the might of God and, in, in, you know, lifting other people up. Whereas I feel like that need brings back that power and brings back that invitation to take up your space. Mm. Um, Because, yes, I need you, but that is I am fully here and you are fully there and you need me gives yourself that importance again to be leaned on, um, which I I really appreciate that uh, new quality to both of those words. Really appreciate you sharing that. that. I really resonate with that. And also, like, for me, yeah, I find the need bit really terrifying. And a lot of the scaredness about it is, I think, just, like, noticing being kind of socialised as a man and, like, that masculinity aspect of, like, I don't need anyone and I'm okay, and, um, yeah, how deeply that just can still play out in terms of, like, feelings of dissatisfaction and and then being like, whoop, okay, well, I don't, like, push away, push away, push away. Um, And it's really scary um, to say I need someone else. Um, because that means I'm weak and that means I can't hold myself. And, yeah, that's true and scary. So, yeah, it's powerful. It's really powerful. Um, that sort of yeah makes me think of just even gathering here of sort of as we gently kind of remind each other of these sort of things this the invitation we we as a community coming together represent the invitation of God to be okay with need to be reminders of our bigness um we sort of we are like prophetic examples to each other of that invitation um and that yeah need is not weakness and you know, um, humility is not smallness, this kind of, but we, we can we remind each other of that and our role of being a healthy church, we do all that hard work to try and be a healthy community so we can keep reminding each other in a healthy way of these things at the heart of our faith. Um, this kind of touches a little bit... Um, 
on the wisdom that we spoke about before um, that we come through after sort of there is a regained innocence this is the clarity and freedom found in a person who has been deeply wounded but after passing through healing purification comes out with the other side with the best of both worlds they are cleverly wise and yet not not overly defended or guarded I suspect this is what Jesus represents when he describes when he tells his disciples to go forth wise as serpents but innocent as doves um that yeah just sort of touches on the kind of wisdom that comes through as we seek to continue um exploring this theme um given our time we're not and knowing rod always has pages left over and i'm gonna flap them around to show you that yes there is pages left over here in some of rod's thinking as well um I guess we've been talking, um, and we could sort of talk about all of this in even in churches context that community and churches become very um, armoured up. You know that safety is only inside this small armour, and that communion with others and invitation to to share and permeate our love for one another is not welcome. You know, like this kind of journey is representative bigger in community context as well that we're not threatened by the other you know we've, we've done the work to be inviters also to the other um but that and sort of shod 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 shane and that's our shane and rod combination rod also just sort of was reminding that um i guess in the humility um and the gratitude side of our, our um our series not just kind of be grateful for what you have and you know but just more the gratitude of everything being interconnected and that sort of leads us beyond that we are all interconnected as people, but also the beyond human world, that we are very interconnected with that which is around us. Um, and there's different traditions and perhaps Indigenous traditions and First Nation peoples that are much more aware of their interconnectedness and gratitude. Um, even, you know, f- sort of formal Judaism has hundreds of prayers of thanks and blessing throughout the day just that I'm aware of my interconnectedness with all things or Celtic spirituality which just acknowledges you know I'm not a soul being but I'm always flowing between things and my feet are touching ground everything is interconnected and that sort of links into the idea of gratitude which in our series we'll we'll circle back to um So I guess um, we'll kind of start to sort of wrap up our thoughts today. Um, I guess the the kind of the invitation to the good from from Jesus's message of that behind things is there is a goodness, an invitation to something found in each other, in found in our full selves, and perhaps found in nature as well. Um, so cultures of gratitude must also be cultures of reciprocity. Each person, human or no, is bound to each other in a reciprocal relationship. Just as all beings have a duty to me, I have a duty to them. If an animal gives its life to feed me, I am in turn bound to support its life. If I receive a stream's gift of pure water, then I am responsible for returning a gift in kind. Um, Robin Will Kimmerer is a, a, a First Nations, uh, American First Nations um, writer. Um, just that reciprocity of gratitude lives in sort of a bigger, bigger world. Um, we we will come. We'll sort of over the series look a little bit more on sort of 
you know, grat gratitude in the relation. This was a picture I recently took when I went on a trip up to the Kimberley, Northwest WA. Um, and uh, I find, what did, oh, sorry, I did write it somewhere in my multitude of notes. Um, but uh, sometimes nature is a very uncomplicated way to access a good divine God um, that gives fish and gives of, of good things. And for me, I find nature a very uncomplicated way of accessing of accessing the divine. Um, so I thought I'll just, as we come together around communion, I'll sort of leave my recent uncomplicated image of a good God um, that's sitting with beautiful horizon and being kind of the land itself hosting me um, and welcoming me in its own way um, and me in turn being incredibly great, great, grateful for being there and being connected to it. Um, that was my recent image of sort of some of this coming together. But we're going to come to communion, um, which is, again, we come to that idea of invitation. This is an invitation to share of a very old church practice that we, we gather together around these symbols of, of Jesus in our midst. Um, and you don't have to do it, but you're welcome to. Um, you might just say want a little tiny mini snack before lunch. Um, that's okay as well. And, um, yeah, the invitation, perhaps reflecting for yourself, what is the divine invitation to you today? It could be a very small one. Um, and the divine you know, invitation to us as our community. Um, maybe we can reflect on that today as we come to communion. So feel free to jump up, gather around, and we sort of gather in a large circle, maybe around communion today, to grab a bit of cracker and a grape juice and let's come together. Or feel free to stay in your seat. I'll just say a prayer and then we can eat and drink together. Um, divine God, um, we gather today at that invitation um, of participating in this this question mark, this this curiosity and this experience of you, um, and that somewhere in the midst of each other we find you, and somewhere in the midst of our land beneath our feet we find you, um, and that Jesus reminds us and insists again and again on reminding us that you are good there is goodness at the heart of what we are looking toward. Um, so we honour that today and we thank you for that goodness and we continue to explore it together. Amen. Let's eat and drink together. Mm -hmm.